Okay, everyone. Roll call for season one, episode 42 of Digital Dissection, where we take a closer and possibly a necessary look at our favorite properties. For roll call, Joe? Uh, here? Uh, clearly, you can see that I'm here. Well, yes, I mean, I, I can see that you're here, but, but I have to mark down that you're here. Well, you can see that I'm here. You, can, you just mark it down. Well, it does, doesn't exactly go over that well. I mean, we have to do it, so that's why we do it. Uh, it in the future, I can just see that you're here, and, except there was just that one time that you weren't, so that's why we do the roll call. Yeah, it's because I was, I was jazzercising. I had, had scheduled the five meetings, and they, I was on my sixth. You know, whatever. Uh, we're just going to go on and get on with it, then. Uh, if you took a back alley to get here, or maybe... You're just always outside one of our houses looking for the next episode. Why not try looking for us on all major podcast platforms instead by typing in Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our blog. If you like the show, leave us a review or tell us what you think by emailing digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, you know, I remember when we talked about in the very beginning how we had that big old list of, you know, of things that we wanted to cover in this first mm -hmm. season. Uh, Fly the Concords was was there. It was always there and lingering, floating, if you will, just just aloft <laughs> on the air. It's just it's it's a property that, I mean, for the people who have seen it, they're usually of a of a similar feather. I mean, mm -hmm. those of us who are fans, uh, <laughs> there's there, your, your humor tends to mimic some of the things you've seen from just how dry these guys are. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I guess one of the things I alluded to in our, our side stitch this week was that we're, we're not exactly doing like a, things we're thankful for, you know, theme or anything. Um, but I, I am absolutely thankful for these guys because they kind of came into my life at a time where you know, I was in college. I hadn't really picked a major yet. I just moved up here from, mm -hmm. you know, from Kansas. And so was kind of in a, in a tailspin of sorts. And suddenly this just absolutely strange humor that I've never <laughs> seen before. <laughs> just, just gripped me. <laughs> never let me go. So definitely happy to, yeah, definitely happy to get around to him. But uh, yeah, I guess, yeah. I guess when did when did you find him, Joe? Uh, same deal, college. Uh, I remember actually having a friend in high school um, mention them to me. Anyway, hold on, they they debuted in two thousand seven, right? So the show no, they, came out. They they'd been so the group themselves had been the, around for oh yeah you know, yeah several years before yep. that so yep as a as a band they're out several years before that but i remember a friend talking to me about them um uh i think i was visiting home and she's like oh have you seen fun of the concords and i i had not at the time and we didn't get around to watching anything but it was always the back of my mind i should watch fly of the concords and then i remember um it was actually a night working at the uw whitewater radio station and i was working on valentine's day because you know I was single and who gives a shit? 
so like, yeah, I'll pick up a late shift so someone can go hang out with a girlfriend. And um, the person who I was taking over for said, you have to play two songs tonight. One of them is Idiot Boyfriend by Jimmy Fallon. That has to be played uh, on Valentine's Day. And the second, and possibly most important, that has to be played for all of those who are in a relationship and need to make sure the mood is set is Business Time by Flight of the mm. Concords. And I'm like, I haven't heard of this, but I'm going to listen to it the first time tonight. And <laughs> I, I lost it. I just lost it. I think I came back on after that song laughing. And yeah. I'm like, this is the most... <laughs> the most hilarious like glorious like look at just like settle down we've been together married for years we have the marriage thing down romance is now very vanilla (laughs) yeah oh yeah and it's it's told in in the vein of you know like a a hyper sexualized you know like 70s porno but clearly (laughs) It's it's not so mm-hmm. much a sight gag. Like the gag is in the lyrics. The whole and, thing. Yeah. And you don't yeah. you don't quite catch it all the first time, but eventually, mm-hmm. eventually you do. And no, it's that, just yeah. how he associates every like little thing leading up to before before having sex as foreplay, despite the fact that it's just normal shit. It's brushing your teeth. It's it's, it's recycling. Basically just recycling. It's just well, no, that's actually not part of the foreplay, but it is it's still very, very important. It's still very, very important. important. Yeah. Oh, and like the uh, the two minutes in heaven is better than one minute in heaven line. I will never, will never <laughs> like not laugh at it. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have to think. Mm-hmm. I have to think that these guys have just always been this way. You know, like oh, yeah. they, mm-hmm. they've always been weird. They've always been dry. And mm-hmm. so, if you listen to us earlier this week, we we covered some of the non flight of the concords, mm-hmm. flight of the concords business, um, but. Today, we are going to look back, you know, we're going to go back into that time machine and only rent it for about 15 years because we don't have to go yeah, far. Not too long. <laughs> yeah. Not not uh, that far. We're still in college. Thankfully back, I, I don't know, maybe not thankfully back in our 20s, depending on how, how fine we look back upon them. But that's where yeah. we are. Mm-hmm. At least for, yeah. I finally look upon the fact that, you know, hangovers only lasted a day, if even back then. That was... <laughs> Is very great. The body had that shit down. Nowadays, it's a no. Hangovers are multiple days, and we pace ourselves. We do. Drinking. We do. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, um, getting back into the uh, this time, this is a period where. So if you've if you've read anything on on the the Concords and where they currently are, I think in a a more recent interview is they describe themselves as retired sex symbols. Sex symbols. <laughs> yeah. uh, in the in the early two thousands, that's when they were sex symbols. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, even like looking at them, the way that again, like the like the humbleness about them is is one of the things that I really enjoy about these two. Because you look at even the way they describe themselves. Uh, I believe Jermaine said he looks like an ogre in a library looking for a book, <laughs> <laughs> and, and he just yeah. I was like, he uh, described Brett as like just go to the set of like any Lord of the Rings movie. And go, and, and there'll be a scene where they're shooting anything with elves, and everyone will look like Brett McKenzie. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> these these guys, they they hit self-deprecating humor in a way that mm-hmm. that uh, does not seem too overt. You know, it's it's just just right. And one of the things that I always uh, found funny about them was whenever they'd introduce themselves in like a live performance, 
the joke would always be in the introduction that they're like New Zealand's fourth most popular guitar based <laughs> digi bongo acapella rap funk comedy folk duo. <laughs> and <laughs> you're just like, what the hell do they walk into? <laughs> but, but dude, that's that's the DNA of mm-hmm. Brent Peter, Tarrant McKenzie, and and Jermaine Atia Mahana of Clement. You know, these guys, they're they're just absolutely hilarious when it comes mm-hmm. to the off the cuff stuff. And they've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I look at them as mm-hmm. some of the some of the the greatest like improv or you know improvisation artists mm-hmm. that, that i've ever had a chance to witness and part of that is involved because of of their history together and and who they met back at victoria university of wellington you know mm-hmm. back in the mid to late 90s they they would actually rub elbows with taika watiti back then um, yeah yeah that make that makes sense considering how many things that uh jermaine and taika at least still work on together yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, these guys would uh, meet each other through, you know, studies at the university. Um, Jermaine and Taika specifically, like we're still later in film. Um, Brett was pretty much always involved with with music uh, mm-hmm. in some capacity, and I think before college, he actually uh, was going to, to like study to be a teacher at one point. Um, so for him, like, I, I always felt like his, his like musical background and, and, and that education slant, it just, just made him palatable. <laughs> I oh, yeah. I, I don't know how to say it other than that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, the music thing has always been around for him because I know, uh, I think what Brett, his, his mother was, I think was, uh, was in ballet. So this is something that's been carried on from, from even before him and what helped him get an appreciation into it. And another thing that I always, I always like liked hearing about these two that I thought was interesting is that when it comes to like again their their style of music, this um like this comedy duo or even like uh, comedic music, they uh they don't really listen to anyone else uh, as far as this goes. They don't really like look for inspiration in other people's work. Is like everything that you see them do is just them like you know riffing off of each other. Um, so while they are like funny people, they don't like, I don't know, they don't listen to this genre of music that they're such a large part of. I mean, they kind of created their own genre. Because, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I mean, in the beginning, I think that's what people struggled with was how to classify mm-hmm. what exactly this was. And in some ways, like folk was like thrown at it because I think of just the independent slant of their music. You know, they... They weren't attached to any like crazy label or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they weren't being promoted by any celebrities or anything like that. Like they just kind of went the show circuit and and it wasn't just always as a band, but it actually was as like performance groups. Um, because <laughs> mm-hmm. so they never actually finished their degrees, by the way. So the <laughs> like like uh Jabane, Brett, and and Taika, they didn't mm-hmm. they didn't actually complete their degrees, but what they would go and, and do are formed several different performance groups. Uh, one of them was like this, it was like a, a concept performance called So You're a Man. And uh, so that was, the three of them were directly involved mm-hmm. with that. Um, a somewhat improvised performance. And uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. I think it was just like a, a modern day man's 
you know, exploration through the world and everything. Um, but they they move on from that and, and form mm -hmm. various different groups. I think the next one they would do, it was called the the Humor Beasts. Um, and, you know, they just kind of kept going with that. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, so these were both kind of the the precursors to, you know, Fly of the Concords. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so it was... Uh, it was in the DNA. They always were doing improv in some, some capacity. So when, when we saw them in the mid to late two thousands, these guys had already mm -hmm. been kind of doing this stuff for, you know, 10, maybe it's at least years. a decade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, that's why I think, uh, didn't really feel like they stumbled at all because they've, they've been refining no. and <laughs> just, just getting better <laughs> as they went. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. even like, so when we think of like them actually launching Flight of the Concords, because uh, I don't know much about them, like actually forming the band itself, because I know at least like the first season of the show, like the music was the forefront, like they they actually wrote episodes around the music they uh, they had already made. And that ended up switching in season two. But um, I remember like reading and finding out that this show more or less started out as a radio serial on BBC uh, that yeah. they had even their, like their original, like um, obsessed fan was played by Jimmy Carr mm -hmm. and some of what he did actually found its way into, into Mel um, in the series. But I know they had started doing that because they had, I think the idea of either or the opportunity to either go to the BBC and present something or go to American networks and present something. And to them, they grew up watching the BBC in New Zealand. So they're like, you know, fuck America. And I never like fuck America. Like, no, no, no. But they're like, no, uh, the BBC just was that much more appealing and exciting to them. So they went there and they were offered like a radio serial or radio series. And I think Brett actually like first responds with like, I mean, like, in the 1950s like that's what you're giving us <laughs> like a, a deal from decades ago well it, so a, as a group mm -hmm. you know they 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 did start off as a a traveling show you know and and so that's kind of where the the whole folk persona kind of came in right like they would take this this show and and that's how they had these songs kind of already made they've been bouncing these around for quite a while so yeah, by the time that, uh, in in uh, in two thousand five when they approached the BBC for this, mm -hmm. you know they already kind of had that idea in mind that you know we're struggling artists and part of what we were trying to do was see if we could get a start in London, and that's kind of where the BBC link mm -hmm. kind of came in. They're like, okay, so we're trying to get big here, we're trying to take our performances and and build audiences with them, so the idea that would become the you know the the future concept that we know about um started off as this let's let's see if we can take this idea and put it in london um mm -hmm. and and largely uh use a lot of the same plot devices that we got for the hbo series so um yeah reese darby who plays you know their, their manager murray in the hbo series he's also their band manager in in this this radio um and a lot of the music that we mentioned that you 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 hear in season one the mm -hmm. stuff that they've been kind of carrying around now for almost 10 years is largely featured um in what's a pretty heavily improvised series so yeah once again like they're they're not sticking mm -hmm. to the page you know they're 
they're, they just know how to work off of each other. At this yeah. Point. And a, a series that was not very well funded, despite like you'd think like, oh, it's an HBO based series. There's going to be money behind it. Not, not always the case. Uh, <laughs> now I don't sad. They don't have any numbers to do some inflation off of, but to give you like at least an idea, if you think of like, you know, um, Brett and Jermaine's apartment uh, from season one, that place did not have running water or electricity. And they filmed in that thing for the entire first season. Um, yeah. And yeah, they filmed like an abandoned apartment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, it was literally like there's no budget to it at all to the point where they, I think they barely even had food <laughs> to give the people on set. Well, uh, you know, Doug, who is played by David Constable, Mm -hmm. um you know you probably if if folks don't know who he is i mean he he played gail on breaking bad um but he he plays mal's uh husband or Kristen shaw's husband now mm -hmm. he actually joe to to corroborate a story that we heard from uh dn bahar you know earlier this season mm -hmm. he said that the first season like barely had any food on set to eat they would have maybe a couple sandwiches and yep <laughs> and that that was it so an, another another point to the win column for dean bahar on mm -hmm. <laughs> saying that the food is a big <laughs> of how good things are mm -hmm. um but hey before we get too far away from it though as far as developing the hbo series to kind of fill in some of this this space beforehand so this show would actually be pitched to the uk's channel four like the, mm -hmm. one of their biggest TV stations. It would be pitched to NBC and to TV New Zealand, which is where they yep. actually thought they would have the easiest like in route, right? <laughs> and they were shot down immediately by TV New Zealand. Because they think that when they said like the middle class of New Zealand just wouldn't get it, and they're like, but we're middle class. <laughs> yeah, J Jermaine is literally yeah. from middle, middle New Zealand, yeah. and mm -hmm. he's got an executive telling him, yeah, they're just not going to get what you're trying to do. And yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know why. <laughs> like, But it's just me. <laughs> yeah. well, well, and, and that's I think that's kind of the, the, the point for why um, if you're not an aspiring artist, like just mm -hmm. never, never quite give up. Because like I was mentioning, these guys are going, you know, kind of like from, you know, bar to bar, essentially. Right. Like small venue to small venue. Mm -hmm. uh, and in 2004, they were literally discovered by an HBO scout. Who just happened to see one of their performances? Yeah, because yeah, was was that was that like a like a was that a music festival or a film festival that they were at? It was a music festival. Yeah, I think it, I think it was. I I can't quite remember the story. I just I just mm -hmm. remember that it was almost like like a um almost like an MLB scout, you know, just watching players <laughs> run the field, you know. Mm -hmm. Same kind of like idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same energy. Same energy. <laughs> And I mean, that's how, like, I think they got like a, a lot of people on the show um, who are staple, like large names now. Like, of course, we already mentioned Kristen Schaal. Um, yeah. She was brought on based off of her standup uh, that they had seen. And yeah, when, 30 seconds of it. <laughs> yeah, 30 seconds of her standup. Like, she's got to be it. She's going to be the, uh, the obsessed fan. And I think when they talked with Kristen Schaal about that, she's like, no, they pitched the character to me. They didn't say she was a stalker, but when you read her, she was definitely a stalker. <laughs> yeah, I, I pretty much assumed that that's, yeah. that's what we were getting at here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and yeah, I mean, up to that point, I hadn't seen her in really anything. No. Um, and so, yeah, to see her play that role, you know, to the just the level of execution that she did, you know, 
you know, mm-hmm. probably the biggest stage she'd been on at that point. I, I knew that uh, I was going to be in love with that character because of just how strange she was right off the bat. Oh, yeah. Like she just, she nailed it perfectly. And yeah. other people you get in this show, you've got Aziz Ansari shows up in the first season of the show. Mm-hmm. He is a, uh, a fruit cart uh, operator uh, who is apparently racist against New Zealanders. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It turns out he actually xenophobic xenophobic i'm sorry and not racist he's xenophobic new zealanders and then it turns out he just doesn't like australians and he just didn't know the difference between the two yeah yeah (laughs) yeah quite the turn in that episode Mm -hmm. yeah yep uh who who else did you have you have uh um kristen wig is in the show she's in season two uh jim Um, gaffigan jim gaffigan's also gaffigan yep um and then uh You've got uh, Eugene Merman who plays yeah you know, G- Eugene Gene. Merman another mm-hmm, another Bob's Burgers uh, reference yeah. and and then Gene the uh, he's the superintendent of their building um, yeah <laughs> remember the first one of the first times you see him he's like you commonly see him in the elevator with them and the first yeah. time you see him he's like he just holds up like a faucet and he's like hey think about putting these in you guys want to try it out <laughs> yeah, yeah. <And> Jermaine <laughs> just twists it doesn't work <laughs> yeah it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> It cuts the scene right there. Perfect. I, I think, I think mm-hmm. one of my favorite uh, Gene moments, because, you know, he, what was really funny about Eugene Merman is that he is a musician. And so, like, you see him randomly throughout the the series, like, just playing playing instruments, whether it's percussion. There's that yeah. one uh, when uh, Brett's doing, like, his angry dance, and then you see Gene just, just railing on a saxophone in the middle of that warehouse. <laughs> so, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... I think that's one of the biggest uh, strengths of this show mm-hmm. was the the cast that was pretty much willing to do anything, yeah. um, because you know Arch Barker who plays uh, Dave, you know who runs mm-hmm. the pawn shop right underneath their apartment. Yep, uh, he was another one of those characters that they went to a stand up show for him, and they mm-hmm. pretty much just wrote a caricature of him at that time. Yeah, and and Dave just ends up being you know, absolutely hilarious contrast to them (laughs) because uh, Mm -hmm. Marge Barker went on to say that, you know, yeah, they wrote a caricature of me, but then he said at that point in time, they weren't that far off. Like I was chasing women, (laughs) you know, I was, I was arrogant, you know, I thought Mm -hmm. I knew all this stuff about the world. And so he was kind of the perfect contrast to butt up against, you know, their characters were kind of completely, yeah. Yeah. Stumbling. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that happens frequently throughout the series is their uh, their failure at a sex life uh, throughout their uh, their time on the show. And that's how I mean that's how the show starts off is um, uh, with uh, the first episode is called Sally, where um, we're introduced to Sally, who's played by Rachel Blanchard. Which are you familiar with Rachel Blanchard at all? Yeah, she was uh, wasn't she the girlfriend in Road Trip? She's a girlfriend in Road Trip. And also, like, I remember seeing her um, for the first time. Um, well, not for the first time. On, I, I think I saw the series Clueless. Like, do you recall mm. the, the TV series? She yes. was uh, she was the main uh, the main character in that one. And why am I forgetting uh, her character's name? Literally the main. It's the same person that Alicia Silverstone played in the movie. But I digress. I know <laughs> one of the things that I, I thought about when I saw her in Flight of the Concords is like man this looks a lot like maggie lawless uh not Ma- uh lawson not lawless yeah no 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 oh, who's not oh. this maggie like, lawson who okay. uh was in psych if you recall yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yep. And funny story about like that funny story, but crazy story about that is that uh, Maggie Lawson actually on kind of like the the advice of, I believe, a professor, like ended up moving with her entire family out to L.A. to chase an audition for she what she heard was a clueless TV series based off of the movie. And like literally like her, her family like sold all their stuff and moved out there with the hopes of, of her getting this role. And it turns out by the time she got there, Rachel Blanchard had already been cast um, for that, for Cher. That's what it is, Cher. That's what it is. Um, but yeah, so I just thought it was crazy. I'm like, oh yeah, looks like Maggie Lawson. Oh no shit. She's the one who uh, took that first job that Maggie Lawson was hoping she was going to be perfect for. Um, <laughs> but yeah, well, so well, she plays Sally. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say perfect Sally moment, man. Just mm -hmm. kind of tore your heart out. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what Sally does on it twice in the first season, actually. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, okay, so before we dive in too much to the first season, mm -hmm. one thing I wanted to mention to people that can go out and listen to this, because we love to drop this kind of stuff. But like before the show came out, there was a documentary that that Brett and Jemaine put out, and it was one of their first trips to the United States. Did you ever see their South by Southwest Festival? documentary uh i did not okay joe i'm gonna have you watch this one day but for the folks that haven't seen this yet fly the concords created a documentary called a texan odyssey and it honestly feels like it's its own episode of like a an early version of the show the guys play almost the exact same character and one of the funny things is that like from the very get-go, uh, <laughs> like they take different ways to get from New Zealand to Texas. So, you know, like Brett just takes an airplane, right? Well, Jermaine, mm -hmm. Jermaine's jumping into a kayak and it shows their their journeys on the map as they, <laughs> as they traverse. <laughs> <laughs> so they it's it's actually really, really funny. It's it's like a time capsule for these guys because you get to see some pretty awful facial hair um that i don't even think was in back in 2006 um but it's it it just goes to show you that these guys they're not exactly ad-libbing some of their personality traits some of the some of the, the ways they are that's just that's just the programming um but the reason why i wanted to mention this before we got too far away from it was that mm -hmm. if anything if you get anything from this documentary it actually gave a really weird plot point that shows up in season one very early on when uh, Mal ends up showing her wallet to Brett and <laughs> and she's got some random stuff in the wallet but then she mm -hmm. shows this illustration of Jermaine's lips yep <laughs> well <laughs> in, in the Texan Odyssey documentary they're just talking to fans and one of the fans opens up her wallet when she meets them and she's got pictures of her kids in her wallet and then she's got a picture of Jermaine's lips. Jermaine's lips. <laughs> it wasn't made up. Not at all. <laughs> it wasn't made up. It absolutely was not made up, man. So if you haven't seen oh my it, gosh. It's, it's, it's out there. And it's actually one of the first things I saw from these guys before I even yeah. knew the TV show was a thing. Um, because very similar to you, I, I just heard like a random track when I was, mm -hmm. um, you know, with my one of my friends in college. We just jumped into his car and he's playing this. And I go, what is this is this yeah. this is gold <laughs> yeah so i looked up whatever i could mm -hmm. find and sure enough 
uh, yeah, the Texan Odyssey was kind of staring me in the face. So, um, but yeah, let's let's uh, let's talk a bit more about about this this season one struggle mm-hmm. with with women because yeah, it does uh, actually be it's it's a it's a reoccurring thing throughout this entire series, um, and and just how how awful these guys are with women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah that, I mean, that's, well, that's part of their humor. Like in, um, in an interview, I think they talked about like, um, they don't like talking about their successes. It's just something that's very hard for them to do. And they, and even like they get anxiety over something potentially being successful, but if they want to make fun of their own, uh, sexual misadventures for 20 years of not getting laid, uh, they'll happily talk about that and make fun of that. And, that's what I don't know. Kind of shines in season one and even season two. Um, trying to go after the same girl and to the point where they uh, they're so upset about they give the same woman different names between Barbara and Bob and Barbara. Well, but, yeah. there, there, you got to also remember that mm-hmm. uh, you know Jermaine was in triple digits, Joe, because he yeah. he hooked up with Sarah Fitzpatrick, Michelle Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick. Clea Fitzpatrick. I mean, yeah, that's it's just three, but it's 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 three digits individually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that is one of the one of the the best things that makes these guys so endearing is that you throughout the the series and their their live performances, mm-hmm. it's it's once again, it's self-deprecating humor, but to a point where it's so pathetic that mm-hmm. y- you can't even view it as arrogance because I don't no. think these guys truly truly know what arrogance is no i don't think so and that's again like again like uh business time comes to mind which shows up in the uh the uh sally i think it's sally comes back Sa- or sally, sally returns, returns. Yeah. sally returns yeah and the whole again yeah that that sec that <laughs> the verse where they're actually having sex in the song just everything that's going through what I, you know it's the entirety of the song all the way from uh his wife saying, I can't be up now. I've got work in the morning. That to yeah. him, he's like, Ooh, that means yeah. I know what you mean. <laughs> means, <it's, laughs> means you want to you want to go upstairs. Um <laughs> which isn't exactly far fetched for a lot of guys to have been misinterpreting mm-hmm. almost every signal possible and still managed to have sex with someone. Yeah. I think that's mostly out of pity for us at this point in time. <laughs> it's like, well, they're not getting it. Let's just go for it. Um <laughs> And and again, that's I feel like that's even like the first like even look at the first episode where you've got um, Sally and Jermaine are back in the apartment. Brett turns on the light, says one thing, turns the lights off, and Sally wants to leave. And <laughs> they spend the next day trying to figure out why she would leave at that moment. And, and it's and yeah, it's because it's because once again, these guys are both playing on the same field, trying to date the mm-hmm. same woman, and somehow. Jermaine did not realize that Brett had already dated her. Yeah, but it was mostly because of Brett turned on the light that time, and that's just awkward to have the light on. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah mostly the awkward. The, <laughs> <laughs> the fact that that's the conversation they have. No, I think it's because we dated. Well, yeah, it's probably it's mostly because you dated, but it's also mostly because you turned on the light, and that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then even Murray goes, or no, no, it was Dave even goes on to say that like, it's like, yeah, dude, that that would be even weird back in in England, and and they <laughs> and they're like New Zealand. He's New like, Zealand. he's like, he's like, yeah, what, fuck, yeah. whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, you English freak. You know, I I loved how 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 bad Dave just gets things, but 
Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, it's 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 hilarious yeah. how um, you know they they obviously New Zealand is a you know modern country and all, but they mm-hmm. they basically uh, take this coming to America trope with these guys, and it's cranked up to a level where it's like these guys shouldn't even be able to function, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is is pretty funny to see unfold because I mean, yeah, these guys aren't just adept with dating. I mean, they're no. <laughs> they're inept with uh with getting gigs and mm-hmm. part of that is to do with the fact that murray is just the the worst band manager ever <laughs> well i was gonna say like if if we're worried about these two making it seem as though uh a new zealand system may be inept murray comes in and he just really cranks that up to 11 yeah. because you've got where he <laughs> i just remember in one episode he's talking about he wants to invest the band's money so he skims a little off the top to put money into real estate because that's where the money is these days it turns out he like, yeah, he bought fucking stars off of like a late night TV ad or something. <laughs> and Jermaine's like, well, that's just a waste of money. He's like, well, no, 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 it's smart. They're stars. They're always going to be there. They'll yeah. go up in value. Not to mention, you know, one of these plants could just have coal everywhere. Yeah. You know, but not, not diamonds and rubies, though. We can't, <laughs> we can't get, yeah, we can't be too can't crazy get, about no. it. No. Yeah. And unfortunately, there is, there is a supernova um, yeah. that wipes out Jermaine's planet. Yeah. And that happened some 40 million years ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and to the larger point, I mean, mm-hmm. what's what's funny about this is if you want to analyze like nature versus nurture, right? Mm-hmm. These guys are, are, are immigrants to the United States. They don't have a lot of experience here. And they end up living in Chinatown. Like you can mm-hmm. actually, you can go to this address in Chinatown and see the you know, the facade the of all this, abandoned building. <laughs> you can see it. That's all there. Like mm-hmm. all the, all the spots that they show you, they're, they're real existing locations. And so um, on the topic of nature versus nurture, like these guys end up living there because it's probably the only thing they could afford. Mm-hmm. But then the people that live there, this, this community that's stacked on top of each other, remember that it's New York. Like there are entire mm-hmm. communities wedged into these small spots and this just happens to be the neighborhood that they end up in, the people that they're surrounded by. And every single one of them has has major issues. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we already talked about being stalked by Mel, but then you've got, mm-hmm. you know, Murray, who's equally horrible with relationships. Yep. Uh, Business. Know, horrible, yeah, yeah, horrible. <laughs> like, well, exactly like as the band manager they used to keep their money in a plastic bag and they, <laughs> they, they, they don't know how much oh money they've God. lost out of it <laughs> so, <laughs> so so they, they spent some money to buy the box which you know mm-hmm. has, has uh, helped clear that up but um but I, I think that's the funny thing to kind of sit back and analyze for a moment it's like mm-hmm. yeah sometimes you're a product of the people that you just happen to live nearby and these guys came to trust these people and and accept their truths as mm-hmm. reality. So, all the horrible advice they get from Dave, uh, all the horrible advice they get from Murray, from like to, to take mm-hmm. alleyways, you know, and and to stay oh to dark God. spots, <laughs> traveling at night. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. oh Jesus! Even like <laughs> I, one thing that always stands out with me too is when they try going on tour. And Murray has like their uh their their contract written up, and they're supposed to get a tour bus, but he can't afford a tour bus, so he just crosses out and writes down Honda Accord. 
Well, it's because he, yeah. he had written it up for a rugby team at one point, yeah. and he just adapted <laughs> it to the fly of the Concords. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't even make new forms. He just literally just tried crossing other ones and had them sign it. Yeah, it says here we need to do squat thrusts. Like, you know, it's like, no, yep. no, no, we're not doing no. squat thrusts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's just mm -hmm. ineptitude. I mean, in every, you know, every possible direction. You know, I, I, but as far as the function of the, of the first season goes, because I want, I want to focus on season one for a few reasons. Mm -hmm. One, one of them is the fact that the, the show was written for the music, of season one. Yeah, and mm -hmm. and so, it's pretty apparent that they they took the material that they've been using for quite a long time that was already funny, and mm -hmm. sure enough, the inspirations for those songs ended up being just as funny as the song itself. You yeah. know, so that made up the you know the fabric of of season one taking mm -hmm. which at that point was about three three cds i think because um at that point they had uh folk the world tour yep then they yeah, had a the self-titled one which was just fight of the concords say right well they had the distant future before that oh okay and then they had fly of the concords because mm -hmm. that was like the the music based on the show right so yep. so the distant future is where we ended up getting like business time, mm -hmm. um, not crying, the most beautiful girl, and mm -hmm. you know robots. And that's the, the distant, yeah, the robot, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah the distant, the future, distant robots. future, the year two thousand. <laughs> Affirmative, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and honestly, I mean, the, those songs made for some pretty damn funny episodes. That yeah, I mean, they the music might feel disjointed but then when you realize mm -hmm. holy crap these guys have been performing this for you know almost 15 years already like mm -hmm. it just made sense so i mean in in that first season i would say that um the music obviously makes the season for different reasons in season two mm -hmm. so in season two the music was really and, we, and we've actually already kind of talked about this how the the, the music in season one the gag is in the music yep right the gag is in the mm -hmm. lyrics not so much the function of what you end up seeing and in season two the songs are kind of written for the sight gag mm -hmm. so you end up the the visual reinforces the song being funny yeah as opposed to and, this dynamic in one and even though like that that formula is different like it doesn't translate to be any less funny um i would like to point mm -hmm. that out right now like even though like yeah the music definitely was the heart and soul of the first of the first uh season season the music in the second season is just as good it's just as funny and like it, it's again well woven into like what's going on in the episode but thinking like like you said sometimes the music seemed like almost random to what was going on in season one uh one thing that i remember that being with is like actually like the bowie episode where i think brett's looking for inspiration um and he yeah. has a vision of david bowie which is which is very true this is this is one of those stories where you, you may think it's just written for the show but i mean yeah these guys have real real body image issues mm -hmm. and during the season one of the show um i'm pretty sure that jermaine got pneumonia and brett was sick almost the entire time mm-hmm just because of all the cold weather, the traveling, uh, the late nights developing music. So yep. 
not to steal your thunder here, but but the body image issues were real because these guys were like skeleton. They said they were skeletons by the end of season one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this 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 whole thing about Bowie feeling random. Bowie is actually one of their you know one of their oldest songs. Yeah. And the goal, I believe, was actually to have David Bowie um, be on that episode of the show. But because he had just been on um, uh, Extras with Ricky Gervais, he couldn't couldn't cut the uh, the double appearance there. And speaking of cutting. Um, <laughs> I know where, I know where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> so when because they couldn't get David Bowie to be in the episode, uh, Jermaine uh, played David Bowie as visualized by Brett. Um, and they, I think even Kavanaugh, that's like, no, I'm Bowie, but this is just the way your mind is visualizing me right now. <laughs> yes, and I'm, so I'm David Bowie from the music video, Ashes to Ashes. Because <laughs> 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 I mean, oh everyone, everyone loves Bowie, right? Because, but, but there's even people that like, who have seen like David Bowie from the old days mm-hmm. and they don't, they wouldn't even know where this nope. stuff came from. No, well, I mean, yeah. it's the same thing with fucking Labyrinth. Like, what the fuck, Goblin King? Like, <laughs> why are you wearing, like, spandex that is suddenly, like, vacuum-sealed to your junk? <laughs> and that's, which, all, which, that's all we see in the movie now. Which we have, all the Goblin we have referenced. Is. We've referenced that bulge on this show many times. <laughs> yeah, that, That's how ingrained it is. We saw it once in, the, like, the 1980s when we were kids, and it has not left us yet. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll let you tell the story of what what happens to Jermaine. But before you do that, mm-hmm. uh, he actually enjoyed, for the most part, being dressed up as Bowie because they were trying to decide since David Bowie won't do it, how do we mm-hmm. facilitate this? And and Jermaine enjoyed the makeup and in the production so much that after one of the first shoots, he just went out and walked the streets of New York dressed up as Bowie. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, and, and oh the funniest gosh. part. The funniest part was Kristen Shaw was also out there, like just getting food, you know, taking mm-hmm. a taking a break and shots, and she sees him mm-hmm. and doesn't even recognize him, <laughs> and and she's actually freaked out, thinking he's one of these like weird street performers or something. So like she's staring at him for That's a while. Hilarious. Going, yeah, I don't know who this man is. Who is, is this? <laughs> yeah. So Kristen Shaw was completely blown away. She had no idea that it was even Jermaine at first. And if you see this episode, like, honestly, I could see how it would take a second, maybe even a minute, to realize that that's Jermaine. Like, the amount of makeup that is on him to try and boify him yeah. is considerable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, but I'll, I'll let you tell the story because um, <laughs> since, they had, <laughs> since they had to improvise here with, with the costume that led to some interesting happenings, didn't it? Yeah. So if you see it, it's a pretty tight silver costume that uh, Jermaine is wearing. And if you've ever worn like fairly tight spandex or really tight, anything, perhaps maybe your wedding band is getting fit needed for readjustment. You'll know that the way your body reacts to something to being too tight is it swells up because the blood just won't circulate anymore. And that's what happened with Jermaine. (laughs) <laughs> and he had to be cut out of that silver David Bowie um, suit. <laughs> oh man, the things, oh the things you do for things you do for your your craft, right? <laughs> um. I mean, you struggle for your craft. You suffer for your craft. 
<laughs> for your soup. Speaking of suffering, that in that same episode when when mm -hmm. uh, Brett begins having these body image issues, I, I think one of my favorite moments from season one is when you know Jermaine recognizes this and he he writes the Brett you got it going on song, you know where he he's basically complimenting Brett in an escalating mm -hmm. series of strange ways. Um, but, and I don't want to take away from it because if you haven't listened to it, it's really, it's really fucking funny. Um, but he ends up having Mal kind of go to bat and go, Hey, look, I, I want you to help Brett feel better about himself because he's, he's really kind of down in this mm -hmm. luck right now. And her, her way of, of overcompensating is to pretty much just put Jemaine down yeah. in front of him. <laughs> I remember and, that. And one of the funniest lines from this this first season is when she's complimenting Brett, but she says that it's like Brett, you have very you know uh, soft features that people would perceive to be classically, you know, handsome, uh, where Jermaine's features are too deep set and can't possibly be <laughs> you know, be viewed that way. And then, and then, and then Jermaine's like. Oh, that's a that's well, a nice compliment, a compliment. for you. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, that's a that's enough. That's, that's, that's enough. enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean that, and those are the types just... of gags that they that they execute so well in this mm -hmm. show. Like, like there there's not really any character that you meet throughout this series, except for some of the, like the side characters that aren't yeah, yeah. the mm -hmm. the main build. Like we're talking the NPCs of New York, but. Anyone who is like featured on this show, for the exception of Coco, Brett's Brett's girlfriend, mm -hmm. um, you know, she's very level headed. But everybody else yep. is is they're they're not in the middle. They're they're always tilting far one yep. way or the other. Mm -hmm. And yeah, <laughs> I just <laughs> I always remembered that line that Jermaine's uh, features are too deep set too to deep be classically set. handsome. <laughs> and then even even when that's over, and and Mel is walk Mel's walking away. She is so excited thinking she helped. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> She's yeah, just yeah. like, yeah, big thumbs up in the air. And Jermaine's just like, go. Just get yeah, out. He's, he's, we're done. <laughs> just, we're done. You've done enough. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I, I will say this, too. Like, if you just listen to the soundtrack of, um, of Flight of the Concords that was based mm -hmm. on this first season, you actually would miss uh, some of the decent, like, some of the fun tracks that are in this show. Uh, that they wrote specifically for it or maybe you know adapted for it um one of my favorite tracks from season one was um the the, the tape of love or whether it's called like the tape or whatever and this is the episode where like jermaine thinks coco is breaking up the band oh and yeah. mm -hmm. and they sing it at the very end you know whether they're like saying that uh you know, life is like retractable pencils. If you push them too hard, they're going to break. Uh, <laughs> that was kind of the strength, I think, in, in the fact that even the prominently featured songs in season one, while they're great, mm -hmm. even the bridge music that they chose to put into the season was fantastic. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I still sing along to it to this day. Oh, yeah. It's it's hard not to like fucking not, uh, Fudu Fafa. I love that song. Oh, it's God, like yes. entirely in like the like rudimentary or fundamental like French one that they yeah. <laughs> that they have. Like uh, 
I remember they, I can't remember the comedian's name, but I just remember he made this hilarious comment where he had to deal with um, someone speaking fluent Spanish. He's like, all right, let's see if my two years of Spanish one will <laughs> help get me through this conversation. And that's like <laughs> what's happening in this, uh, this, this song is yeah. that um, again, like it just plays off the whole, like they're terrible with women. So they're just trying to act like they can speak French to go out with these women because they saw them uh, at a French bakery. Yeah, uh, so you just yeah. get this idea that they're probably that they probably speak French, and that's where the song just kind of visualizes or or, or appears in the episode. And that is, despite the fact I've never taken a French class, never attempted to learn the French language, I've never been with French women who could teach me the French language like our favorite assassin has. Um, I will happily try singing along with this song every time that it comes on. <laughs> which, which that's that's what's really funny about that song is that it speaks to the ineptitude of these guys, even in their fantasy yep. world. Because <laughs> they're they're trying to speak French to women that fluently speak French, and all they're doing is like it's naming good. foods. And oh my gosh, the voyage de la supermarché. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, but that's all they're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and instead of instead of uh, like with fish, they just call it Jacques Cousteau. You know, because <laughs> they, they, they don't know fish, but no, they don't. No, they don't know. They don't fish, but they don't shock us still. And then I think at the end, like again, like me having no context over what she's trying to do. Like she's trying to ask me to go to the beach or go for a swim somewhere, and they're just like, we don't fucking know what you're trying to ask us at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so at the, the, the end of the song, like you just hear the French room break down and parlez-vous la français? No. Oh. <laughs> yeah. it's, and and i what i love about it too it's stylized in like this this 60s french facade where it's like mm-hmm. you know it's it's trying to take you through that era as they explore it and <laughs> and it's and, yeah it's hilarious it's it's fantastic absolutely love it but yeah no yeah. again like the the song choices whether it is like the highlight song or was um was it Albi the racist dragon was that? Oh season yes, one? yes. Or Albi the racist dragon? Yeah. In the marmalade forest, <laughs> yeah. behind the maple leaf trees. Yeah. <laughs> In a cottage, she's cottage. Yeah, dude. Oh my god, <laughs> this this uh this this children's tale that they mm-hmm. they they show on uh it's it's actually told through New Zealand's one because they have the one channel, right? Oh yes, New Zealand one. <laughs> um, yeah, and they yeah, this Albie the racist dragon uh, claymation, you know, cartoon comes on. Yep, just clean felt. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, it is it is so it is so funny, and it's it's maybe what like a, a minute worth of of airtime, and it, you you will be laughing hysterically mm-hmm. for that whole minute. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and I I love it when he the matter of fact way they, they they tell this story where it's like i'll be the dragon cries tears which right. turn into jelly beans Here we all is. know mm-hmm. we all know it turns into jelly beans everyone knows it turns into jelly beans yeah <laughs> and then oh and then that one line where uh you know they the villagers chase alby into the cave and mm-hmm. he's talking to the badly burned albanian boy that he had charred the day before <laughs> and he goes uh what does he say to him something like 
You didn't kill me, Alby, but you did leave me very badly very disfigured. Very good. Laughed the boy. <laughs> so, so, I mean, even if it's not these guys acting it out, like they're even, yeah, they're writing oh. in their thought process is just, just, just brilliant, hilariously brilliant. It's it's literally like I don't. I think the term comedic genius may be thrown around too much, but it's 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 true here, one hundred percent true with these two. And not to mention, highly quotable. The the line, mm -hmm. "Get your hand off my tail, you'll make it dirty." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking of that too. <laughs> oh my god! You know, I, I think that's one of the 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 things that we kind of glossed over a bit here. We talked a little bit about how like New Zealand is portrayed as this this third world country, mm -hmm. and it's kind of told through um, this this <laughs> this VHS tape that Murray gets. Uh, sent to him from from you know, he mm -hmm. calls it a dubbed video dub, which he thinks is a DVD. Yeah, it's a DVD, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, this this VHS tape actually kind of shows you exactly what they're trying to make you think is New Zealand, which is this like mm -hmm. backwards, you know, country. And one of the ways that they display this is one of the commercials on the VHS tape, um, which actually features Taika Waititi, is that the telephone has apparently mm -hmm. just gotten to New Zealand. And they're they're showing you how to use it. <laughs> and it shows him pick up the phone and call this woman and order a tape, and you know it's all dubbed over too. It's completely dubbed over, like, completely dubbed, bad. like terribly. Like no, you're thinking like this is like Bruce Lee in the Green Hornet, like or literally any of like the uh, the Showa era Godzilla movies. It is it is over the top, like just not lighting up. <laughs> yeah it looks like it has like a you know like a, a beer colored filter on it <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> very hazy yeah it looks so old and then yep. it, it ends in such a cheesy way with with taika where it says the telephone you make the call and it shows him like fish <laughs> pump at the end <laughs> Oh and, my god. And, and then even when they when you're not seeing the TV, like you're just listening to it, they say like you're watching New Zealand's one, New Zealand's New one New channel. Zealand's and one you're channel. like <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to be the BBC. They're following the BBC's format, but they only have the one channel. They, they just have the one. Oh yeah. my god. And yeah. other things they do that with um is like just the posters in Murray's room that are promoting New Zealand. Oh my um, god. Um you had the New consulate. Zealand Rocks one. Yeah. In the New yeah, Zealand he, consulate. He, he, yeah, because Murray works for the New Zealand consulate and mm -hmm. also manages, you know, uh, Brett and and Jermaine, <laughs> and everyone there knows it. <laughs> yep, for some reason. Yeah, the oh, posters God. change almost every episode. Yeah, and and they're yeah you, yeah I, I think the one you just mentioned it says New Zealand and then like dot 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 rocks rocks. <laughs> <laughs> they might, one of my favorite ones is um, New Zealand. Just lower your expectations, you'll love it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not to mention oh. the, con the consulate is like all like wood paneling too yes like the old like 70s 80s like wood paneling that stuck around for two decades too long and at least until the early 2000s if you're my parents that wood <laughs> paneling really hung in there um uh, but that's the whole building or at least murray's office well you can maybe assume the rest of the building um modernized a bit but Murray also got Windows 95 in like 2008. So, oh, yeah, yeah, which is another like gag they constantly 
kind of show is that you know Murray's ineptitude knows no bounds. Yo. I mean, he he thinks that he's uh, getting CDs made from. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh God, why am I gonna? I'm gonna blank on this. Um, Quincy Jones. He he thinks that he's talking to Quincy Jones's cousin or something, mm-hmm. and. And uh, and the actor that plays him is, is freaking hilarious. I can't remember his name, but like I've seen him several times. And then he ends up selling Murray like one box of actually like burned CDs, and then like three boxes full of sawdust. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh. And isn't it that doesn't Murray get the third Concord at the end of the first season? Is that how he shows up? Yeah, yeah. Murray actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is after he had dental work done so he was still on like mm-hmm. laughing gas and yeah he just meets some guy playing the bongos and thinks you know mm-hmm. what once you join the show yeah yep uh which reminds me and uh, mm-hmm. speaking of comedians this is where dimitri martin actually uh cameos for a couple episodes is yeah mm-hmm. is the uh the original flight of the concords with jermaine when he splinters off from that mm-hmm. or no no sorry with brett with brett um yeah they have the two bands because because there's the the rift that occurs, um, <laughs> and doesn't it turn out that the the, the third Concord um, was just ripping off one of his earlier songs from his own solo career? No, he was actually ripping off like a like a Romanian band. Oh, that, that's what it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that like that made the song like twenty years before mm-hmm. he did, and and yeah. it's actually a good it's a good segue into season two because mm-hmm. you know Murray calls it calls the original version the cover version of their song that came out 20 mm-hmm. years before which yep which therefore that's not how that works Murray. <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and that's what's mm-hmm. i think what's really funny about season one and two is that typically you're expecting you know like uh the averages to not like uh, just when it comes to ratings like mm-hmm. you're not really quite sure what to think when you've got like a an independent made first season for the most part even though it's hbo like you mentioned there's not a whole lot of money in it no no not really but it's still still critically acclaimed mm-hmm. um and and season two obviously gets a lot more money um and they get better it, food it better food <laughs> yeah it's it's an hd now um <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, that's so the, the whole theme of like season one was that, you know, these guys were desperate to try and take, mm-hmm. you know, two steps forward, but every time it would be three steps back. Right. Yeah. And, and so that was like the whole point of season one and season two actually shows them, you know, they get a, they actually are getting paid gigs because Murray ends up taking the new flight of the Concords or the, the crazy dogs as they ended up mm-hmm. labeling them. And so the guys actually kind of go off on their own, get a commercial deal. Looks like things are, you know, starting to to go the right direction. Um, mm-hmm. But e- even on the show, they they kind of avoid this this struggling band as like the gag, right? Yeah, like the like that gag kind of it's still there, obviously. Like they're still oh yeah, basically it, it get... comes around every every band meeting. The uh, the lack of gigs will always be there. But well, they're sold out shows. Never... They're sold oh, they out. are sold out shows. Yeah, like the boat show with the two people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Although there was the aquarium mishap where they were they were looking for sand, but it was a typo and it looked like a, a wavy bee. You know, it, it's it, once you see it, Joe, you 
you can mm -hmm. see this you can you can recognize how easy a mistake that was yep but it, it's nice that like that that's always there but it's not like the ongoing like struggle that we we watch the characters go through um it's i guess a lot more like trying to get laid is like the biggest the struggle they have throughout the show but but yeah no the uh the struggling band moniker or gag is not the the main issue for our characters yeah like in in one that is absolutely it like the struggle with women was was i mean they they go through this like four or five different times throughout season one. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wouldn't quite call it Seinfeldian because, you know, they're not breaking up with the women. It's usually the women breaking up with them or women yeah. using them, you know, kind of flipping the script on men, women mm -hmm. relations. Like the women are almost yeah. predatory towards, towards the men. And it was, it was yeah. kind of refreshing to see it that way. <laughs> um, but I mean, in, in season two, yeah, I mean, it's, it's much more about doing, what most shows try to do which is expanding on you know the characters that are existing mm -hmm. uh they explore much more of that once again that concealed community within their block you know mm -hmm. you you meet the downstairs uh, uh asian family that runs the restaurant slash laundromat down there <laughs> and <laughs> um, you know so i i thought they did a, a good job with that and mm -hmm. calling back to what we mentioned before with with the music being used to promote the visual Mm -hmm. I think they did an incredible job with it when you consider how hard it is to write music. And then they only had about maybe a year, year and a half in the middle of a writer's strike Ooh. to do this. Wow. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's even more incredible. Like, I mean, look at that. I mean, I remember the writer's strike and not everything new. I mean, I think the funniest thing I remember seeing out of it was uh, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog um, yeah. with, uh, with you know, Patrick Harris. But yeah, that's fucking commendable as heck. <laughs> um, yeah. Pulling that off. Not only writing, again, not only writing the TV series, but also writing the music for it. Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I thought that season two was just as enjoyable uh, as season one. And and that's not just me, too. Like, the reviews, the 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 ratings were there to support that this was... This was definitely just as high a quality, despite having that little bit different approach. Mm -hmm. um, and and I really, th I think I can sum it up in a couple different songs here. But one of my favorite songs from season two is "Too Many Dicks on the Dance Floor." Yes, <laughs> <laughs> which which uh, is executed brilliantly visually. The the mm -hmm. whole thing where like Dave is trying to teach them like you know, how to, how to live on the dance floor, just like how he taught them how to explore, experience the party life in their, in the first episode. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you know the background of this too, the background of this song, it wasn't just like they pull it out of the air. Um, oh, no, this was, this was a night at a, at a Canadian nightclub. Well, it was a nightclub that was full of a bunch of Canadians <laughs> that were apparently <laughs> explaining this as Dave did in the, in the show. Yep. <laughs> like guys, just, just, just spread, out, spread the out the dicks. There's too many dicks on the dance floor. <laughs> and and Which, the, way that they, the way that they do it on the show, like they have every possible like like greasy stereotype of man mm -hmm. that that's on this dance floor. And uh, and this is when, of course, you're you're introduced to the idea of New Zealanders and Australians, you know, almost as if they're different races of people. 
um, <laughs> in, in this episode. It's all contained within this mm-hmm. one episode, and it's it's just we don't want to ruin the gag because no, it's too no, good. No, no. <laughs> no, I just yeah. Oh my god. Also, could you imagine being at a, at a nightclub with that happening, and you're on the dance floor having a good time, and suddenly someone's like, "Hey, get off the floor. We've got to make space for the ladies." Okay, ladies, you can come to the dance floor now. Who's gonna come to that? No one's walking over to that guy saying, thank you, sir. We finally have room to dance. Yeah, like the women are just all of a sudden going to go, oh, there's less dicks there. I can oh, dance okay. now. We can make it now. No, the dicks will come back. They'll come right back <laughs> if you got them to leave in the first place. I I just love how, how well it was executed. The, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the music video quality of this song and, and just how hilarious it is to listen to and watch because i mean i've listened to the uh i told you i was freaky cd more times than i can count and that song is the one that i like always like i couldn't wait to listen to like i i knew it was coming and and i was excited for it and and i still do i love that song um but i mean it's it, so even though it's a slight change in you know in in the the way that they built the season um, I still think it's great because then it's it's going from just being strictly clever, mm-hmm. like mentally, to being visually clever, and and it's it's just as just as enjoyable uh, from the show's perspective. But either way, I mean, are there any other funny moments from from season two, Joe, that really stuck out to you? Uh, I'm trying to think, season two. Um... <laughs> um probably i just think i keep going back to the episode with Kristen wig when they're trying to help her find her dog and things from that get me are always whenever Kristen wig shows them a picture of of her dog it's always fucking dressed up as something and like yeah. oh for halloween and she's like oh no it was a gourd party so it was a pumpkin <laughs> or no it was a kitten party and the no dogs allowed so that was the only way i can get them in yeah, and yeah. when they um they try they try to impress her, the various things they do to impress her, like um you have Brett claiming he made a vaccine for epilepsy, which you can't make a vaccine for epilepsy if you if if you're struggling to figure out how vaccines work, you cannot cure a neurological disease or disorder with a, with a vaccine. Uh, but yeah. Brett claims he has it. He he's tried it and he doesn't have epilepsy. Epilepsy, despite the fact he's never had it in the first place. It's and, it's taking their their Sally Lake competition, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and, and amping it up in season two. For, mm-hmm. and, and the thing was, it didn't actually feel recycled. No, <laughs> not at all. Um, and like, oh my god, the fucking part where she meets Jermaine at a bar and he has a he has a beard out of nowhere, <laughs> and she calls him out right away. Like, I don't think you had a beard yesterday. We talked. No, no, I don't always do. I, I put it on and off whenever I feel like it. Like he just, like he doesn't try covering it up. Like, oh no, I've I've, I've always had this. Or like, no, I just grow really fast. Like, no, 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 I just put it on and off when I feel like it. <laughs> like you just know it's fake. It's coming off. Like, oh, thank you. you just press it back. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, and and I, what I love too is that uh, this was almost like I feel like the the other guys stole this joke from them when Brett has been calling her Brabra the entire episode because she says her name very quickly mm-hmm. and Jermaine calls her Barbara. And when they finally 
explain it later. It's like, no, pretty was Barbara the entire time. And, and it was like, it was almost like, uh, Christina in the other guys, you know? <laughs> yeah. Was... Christina. Yep. Say <laughs> my, like say that. her name, right? Yeah, yeah. You come in my home. My home. You, yeah, you get my wife's name right. Right. Press that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that whole Barbara twist and just the fact mm-hmm. the dog's probably long dead. You know, she's probably clearly gone. got she's got screws loose. Um, <laughs> if if you weren't going to mention it though, what I was going to bring up is one of my favorite moments because there are many famous mm-hmm. musicians that show up in in Fly the Concords mm-hmm. and. You know, in season one, uh, you've got Daryl Hall from Hall Notes at the, yep. you know, the uh, the bands from around the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he calls them, he calls them, he just calls them flute of the Commodores. <laughs> 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 and, and, and if he, I didn't even think Daryl Hall could act, and he he's brilliant in that in that thing. Um, but it was when Art Garfunkel shows up in season two. Yes, in the Prime Minister episode. Mm-hmm. Well, he shows up and and it, it introduces us to this this term called Garfunkling. And and Joe, do you do you remember what Garfunkling was? Ah, uh, fuck. Um, <laughs> if not, I, I, I know it's it, you... it doesn't it something to do with like a fanatic of his or something. Yes. So mm-hmm. so basically, they get a quote unquote gig where. Okay. Where mm-hmm. Jermaine and Brett are asked to impersonate Hollow Notes, or uh, uh, sorry, sorry, not not Hollow Notes. Um, uh, God, well, how did I forget their names already? Uh, Simon um, and Garfunkel. Simon and Garfunkel. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. And I, I knew Garfunkel. I forgot Simon. How how the hell did I do that? Anyway, <laughs> so they're they're impersonating Simon and Garfunkel, and while they're there, this woman who dated our Garfunkel notices Jermaine. And asks him to continue to wear his impersonation outfit as part of their dating slash, you know, sexual oh, no. uh, experiences <laughs> together. And and so you find out that like, yeah, it's like he hooks up with her, but he only hooks up with her because he was wearing the costume. Mm-hmm. So he continues to wear the costume. Wear the costume. <laughs> and she calls it Garfunkling. <laughs> oh my god and and so once again man it's like it's the show Mm -hmm. shifting from just being and they're still clever they're still clever throughout this season but it's the fact that you can take sight gags like that execute them so well and Mm -hmm. and still have great music behind it i mean i i think a lot of this has to do with the fact these guys are obviously very creative people Mm mm-hmm and Joe, it's it's not even just like some of the music that I've mentioned. Like mm-hmm. if you listen to the I Told Joe was freaky CD, uh the Carol Brown song when when Jermaine dates the Australian woman <laughs> and they create mm-hmm. the song about his the ghost of his girlfriend's past. Mm-hmm. That song functionally is is beautiful to listen to. Yeah. I mean, I I love that music just for the music. But then the lyrics are also hilarious. And I, that's the part that, that I kind of grew with in this show is that, yeah, they they pull you in with with really funny music, you know, really funny personalities. But the longer that you're with Fly of the Concords, you will continue to appreciate the the nuance that they bring to the show, to their performances, you know, to their improv. 
and it all lives in this series in like a two year, you know, time capsule. Yeah. And, and like it's a two year time capsule and a kind of like kind of Seinfeldian is they choose to go out on top. And it was, yeah, it was out on, out on top and undefeated because I know like their anxiety over success of the first two seasons got to them so much that during season two, they told, I think, the producers to, like never, never tell them if they're getting picked up for a third season. Uh, so that way, in the event at the end of season two, if they decide they didn't want to continue with the show, they could do so without the lingering idea that they're being canceled. And so they were never told if there's going to be a season three. And when that happened, they decided to walk away after two seasons without the crippling anxiety of being canceled. Well, I, I think it was a combination of things because these guys went through a lot of hell to be able to write original music for the show. They repeatedly said that, you know, it, it was the second album syndrome that a lot of bands go mm -hmm. through. Yeah. And they were, they were asked to do it in a very, very short period of time. So they had that kind of working against them. The show was a lot of work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, you can see it. They put a lot of work into that, into that show. And I think that's one of the lasting legacies of this show is that you see it in the final product. They were not dragging ass making this show. And that was a lot of it too. You mentioned the popularity. Mm -hmm. Like Brett McKenzie, he didn't give a shit if he was popular or not. No. Like he, he didn't give a shit mm -mm. if if he was a celebrity. And that's a big reason why he's kind of pulled back so much. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he he does not appreciate not I don't appreciate. He does not he does not like being in the limelight very well. Um I think they even talked about how like even at the at the Oscars, he looked bored i think jermaine even said like he looked bored during it yeah. um when he won and when he was asked about that I'd say well why like you didn't take any any sort of enjoyment from getting that sort of acclaim or praise and brett like pretty much instantly pointed out that i was just exhausted and tired and bored because i had literally been scheduled for 500 interviews before that to just talk about my success with um with the Muppets movie. And he's like, he was just over it. Like he hated thinking about well, not even thinking about, but continually talking about himself that much. He just it wasn't for him. Didn't like it. Yeah. I mean I, I can respect it too. Mm -hmm. You know, I really can. You see some of these some of these celebrity profiles out there and they live for the celebrity side of it. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's Think of any every reality star you've ever seen, right? But then when you get truly creative people, and the fact that you get a chance to see someone like Brett McKenzie and and Jermaine Clement working together, and we get this product, mm -hmm. you know, th these are rare things. Like, I mean, we we didn't we didn't see anything like this before these guys came out. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's really the legacy of of Fly of the Concords is that you have uh it, it's not even something that I feel like is a is a time capsule for like the late 2010s, because it really isn't. It's it's a it's a story we've kind of seen before in people coming to a foreign land that they don't understand and they're trying mm -hmm. to figure it out. But instead of the the heartwarming rags to riches story, 
you end up getting people who continue to find hard luck and they might get ahead a little bit at a time, but they'll never truly get there. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I thought was really funny about it was that your expectations, they're actually subverted at the end of this series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it can, it can be done well. Yep. You know, it, it can be done well. So that's what I thought mm-hmm. was really funny about it. It wasn't like the end of Seinfeld where people are just like, no. wow, I'm so disappointed with this, mm-hmm. you know, but at the end of the flight of the Concords, we didn't really know that we were only getting two seasons. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, man, it's a, it's a fun two year journey that I hope maybe some folks tuning in for the first time will go back and check out because it's absolutely worth it. I do too. And I do like how you pointed out that this wasn't something that was really done before because I think some people um, may try drawing comparisons between this and Tenacious D, who also got kind of like their really big break off of an HBO series. And you may think it's the same idea because it's, you know, it's a comedy music musical duo. But Tenacious D was a very different show compared to the Fight of the Concords. And with with Tenacious D, I feel like what was at the forefront of that show was that struggle to find a gig, was the struggle to make it as a musician, and that was the focus of the show. Whereas in Friday yeah. the Concords, that is that is a mere that's that's just a subplot, and that's not that's not trying to say that that's like that puts this above Tenacious D. It just says it's a different show than Tenacious D because I don't believe that. Like I love Tenacious D, still do. It's a great TV series. Absolutely love uh, that band and their and their music. Um, but Flight of the Concords, very different band, very different TV show. And if you have seen Tenacious D or not, and you're thinking this is just another another attempt at HBO recapturing that same idea, you know, give it a try and see if that, that thought still holds up as you go on through the show. <laughs>